be that is contained within a physical body. So when he says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, he's not talking about getting saved again. He's talking about um, a, a, a renewal uh, in, in, in the part of you that w- would be your mind. And of course, generally speaking, Romans 12 says to, to, for the, you know, talks about uh, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But here he's, he's more specific. So think of being renewed in your mind as, as just the mind in general, but the spirit of your mind speaking specifically to that part of your mind where your self-image resides. In other words, how you see yourself and how you think of yourself. Because your old man, or we could say your old spirit, that was buried with Christ and, and, and died with Christ and buried with Christ, he left an imprint on your mind. He, he, he left residue, if you will, um, on your thinking. Now, I got more notes than I'm going to get to this morning, but I'm feeling really compelled this morning uh, to, to go now to Galatians, the fourth chapter. So, so turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, and, and I, want to, I want to show you something real quick, amen, and, and this is something that, that uh, we will build on in the days ahead. But I want you to see this because when the Holy Spirit revealed to me that the spirit of your mind is your self-image, the spirit of my mind is my self-image, it, it became like the first in a long line of dominoes. In other words, once that key piece of revelation came, it brought answers and, and deeper understanding to many, many other passages in, in the Word of God. And so Galatians 4 and 19 is um is one of those and uh let me let me just read it to you real quick praise god um it says my little children for whom i labor in birth again until christ is formed in you i labor in birth again until christ is formed in you now what is he what is he talking about here until christ is formed in you well clearly when paul went to this region called galatia and he preached Jesus there. And he worked and labored and travailed so that those men and women in the church at Galatia could be born again. So notice he, he worked diligently and travailed in birth to see them receive the gift of salvation. Now he says, now he says to them in a letter that he's writing to them, that his labor now among them is focused on Christ being formed in them. Christ being formed in them. Now I'm going to find this because I want to I read it to you exactly as it is in, um, in, the, in the definition. And again, I would have pulled this over into my notes had I known that I was going to go here. But I just feel, I feel prompted to do this, so I appreciate your patience. Amen. So this word formed... The only time it's used in the New Testament, in its, you know, the original language, in other words, um, is translated into our English word form. But if we go back to the original language, the only time the original version of this word, now other words translated into this word, we find other places. But right here is the only place we find this word used in the New Testament. And this word formed means literally to form or fashion. And it was used of artists who shaped their material into an image. It was used of artists who shaped their material into an image. 
In Galatians 4 and 19, it's speaking of the Christian as a little child who needs to mature until the very image of Christ is impressed upon his or her heart. The very image of Christ is impressed upon his or her heart. So when Paul used this word, and it's the only time he used this word or anybody else used this word in the entire New Testament. He says, I'm travailing in birth until Christ be formed in you. He was not talking about them being born again again. He was not talking about them getting saved again or or rededicating again because they had somehow backslidden or strayed. But here he says, "I'm, I'm working now for the image of the one that you've been born from, right, be formed in your heart that that he leaves an impression upon your mind because the old man left that impression we're now committing ourselves to a process of a new impression being made in in our hearts and minds a new image being formed in our hearts and in our minds not the image of the old man but the image of the new amen Well, praise God. I hope that that stirs you up and excites you because it certainly stirs me up and excites me. So let's get back to it. We we then have a, a, a new man but an old image. We are new creations trying to live from an old image. And this has to change. This is what he's saying to to these uh, men and women there in in Ephesians 4. He's saying, look, you've been born again. You're a new creation. You're you're an insider now, but you're living like an outsider. You've been given the kingdom of God, but you're living like someone who is an alien from anything that is God. Amen. And why is that? It's because they're living from an old image even though they have become new creations. As long as the image we have of ourselves reflects the man we were, our conduct of, uh, and condition of life will reflect the man we were even though we are not that man any longer. This is why we must be renewed in the spirit of our minds. This is why we need a new self-image. I wrote this in my notes this week. I defeat my Creator Father's purpose for making me a new man if I insist on clinging to the inward image of my former self, the old man that exists in my mind. In other words, Father had a purpose for making you a new creation in Christ Jesus. He had a purpose for qualifying you to be a recipient of His Holy Spirit. He had a purpose for putting you in a position to be blessed and that the blessing of Abraham could come upon you. Amen. He had a purpose for all of that. But I defeat my Creator Father's purpose, the very purpose that He had in mind for making me a new creation, if I insist on clinging to the inward image of my former self, the old man that exists in my mind. Now let me give you an example of this. The, the, the scriptures are clear. If you've been born again, you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now we've taught on that exhaustively around here and we're going to continue to do that. And so again, I could show you five or six verses, just they're firing off in my heart and my mind right now. But again, the scriptures are clear. If you've been born again, you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's something that you've become. I, use, I usually explain it this way. Um, when I was born of physical seed, I was born with brown eyes. I didn't make myself have brown eyes. 
I, I, I was born with brown eyes. In the same way, when I was born again, I was born again with righteousness. When I was born again, I was made free. I was made strong. I was made rich. I was, I was, I was made righteous. It's, it's who I am now. Amen. So the scriptures are clear. If you've been born again, you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now here's the question. Does the image that you have of yourself reflect this? Does the image that you have of yourself reflect the righteousness you've been made? Or does the image that you have of yourself still reflect the old man you were? Now, this word reflect is very important when it comes to this concept of image and and self-image and and what we see about it in a lot of different places in in the Word of God that we're going to take our time and work our way through this morning and the days ahead. But this word reflect is very, very important because when something is reflected, in other words, if you stand in front of a mirror, you see a reflection of yourself. You don't stand in front of a mirror and see a reflection of something or somebody else. That's a horror movie, okay? When you look into a mirror, you, you, you see a reflection of what is. Amen. So the idea then, listen very carefully, is your life reality is a reflection of your inner image. So if your inward image is not a reflection of your born-again spirit, how then can your life reality be a reflection of your born-again spirit? Now, we, we talk often around here about discipleship. And discipleship is about a lot of things. But one of my many favorite ways of, ex- of explaining discipleship to you is discipleship is the process by which the inward reality of the new birth becomes an outward expression of life. When who you became, the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, becomes obvious and apparent in your life reality. Where you begin to experience and enjoy all the good things that belong to you now as a child of God, as an heir of God, and as a joint heir of Christ Jesus. There are many in the body of Christ who have received that inheritance from God, but they have not laid hold of it yet. They are not experiencing it and enjoying it in their life reality. Why is that? Because God didn't give it to them and He gave it to somebody else? Absolutely not. He has given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have received from God not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God so that you might know the things that have been freely given to you by God. So the idea then is how how can our life reality that we, we're living right now moment by, by moment become a reflection of our born-again spirit. The only way that will ever happen, please hear me, is for your self-image to become a reflection of your born-again spirit. So when, when we say reflection, let's, let's go back to this, right? Your, your self-image, let me get back to my notes. I'm, I'm straying and I'm, man, I'm just, amen. So your life reality if you're writing stuff down, I would, I would recommend you write this down, okay? And I'm going to give you some Bible verses on it here in just a moment. But your life reality is a reflection of your self-image. So if your self-image does not reflect your born-again person, then it's not going to reflect forward in, into your life reality. Your life reality is a reflection of your self-image. This is why someone can be born again and still have a life experience that's much more like somebody who's not born again than somebody who is. 
This is why, as he said in Ephesians 4, the, the, the men and women there were living like outsiders. They were living alienated from the life of God when they had been given the life of God in overflowing eternal abundance. Are you hearing me? Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? But, but they're living as if they do not have the Zoe life and nature of God. Why is that? Because they're living from the futility of their minds. That's what the Bible says in there in Ephesians 4, 17, 18, 19, right? Leading up to the verses that we began with this morning. So notice now what's, what's got to happen. They've got to be renewed in the spirit of their mind if they're going to put off the conduct and condition of the old man and slip into the conduct and condition of the new man. Because your life reality is a reflection of your self-image. As a man thinks in his heart, the Bible says, so is he. So how you see yourself, right, is going to determine the life that you experience and enjoy even though you have an eternal uh, work done deep inside of you by the Holy Spirit at the spirit level of your being. So one more time, your life reality is a reflection of your self-image. So let me give you some verses here. Romans, I'm sorry, (laughs) Romans, Proverbs, it says Proverbs plain as day right there in my notes, Proverbs 27 and 19. I, I, I do not remember a sermon that I have rehearsed more than this one. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Proverbs 27 and 19. It says this, As in water face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. Now, here he's talking about water. That was, um, you know, we've got mirrors everywhere now, glass and these kinds of things. Well, that, that was, uh, you know, mirrors in, in these days were made from polished metal. So the, the more common mirror would have been looking into a, a, a pool of still water. So he says, as in water, face reflects fle- face, so a man's heart reveals the man. I'm going to give you the same verse in a few different translations. In uh, the NIV Today's NIV, it says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. As as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. So the life that you're living is a reflection of, of your heart. Your life reflects your heart. In the same way that a mirror reflects your face, amen, Your life is a reflection of your heart. See, if you want to change, come on now. If you want to change your life, you got to change the reflection. We struggle and struggle and struggle so hard to change what's in the mirror. And we don't understand that what's in the mirror is a reflection of something deeper inside of us. And if what's deeper inside of us never changes, the life that we're experiencing, the reflection in the mirror, will never change. From the God's Word translation, as a face is reflected in water, so a person is reflected by his heart. And then the Amplified might be my favorite of all because it it digs into the definitions just a little deeper. As in water, face answers to and reflects face, so the heart of man to man. One more time. As in water, face answers to and reflects face. So notice now, he's, he's, he's drilled down into the meaning of this Hebrew word a little further. And it's not just that it's, it's a reflection, but it answers to. 
it answers to. One more time. As in water, face answers to and reflects face, so the heart of man answers to and reflects the life of man. So what's the point? Your life reality is a reflection of and answers to what's in your heart. Now, obviously we've talked about reflection of, but let's, let's look a little closer at this idea of it answers to. And, and here's one way that maybe you can really you know, lay hold of this. Who do you answer to? Right? Because answers to means a servant of. And there's somebody that's over you that you answer to. So think about what he's saying here. Your life reality is a reflection of and a servant to what is in your heart. It's a servant to what's in your heart. And, and so when he's talking about answering to, responds, reacts, reflects, all of these words are words that are, that are captured in, in this uh, original Hebrew word here. So the idea of something being a servant to something else, something being a servant to something else. We, we have a, uh, a situation set up in the media booth where one computer is a slave to or a servant to another computer. What does that mean? It means whatever happens in one is going to be reflected or it's going to take place in the other. Automatically happen. It's, it's not like you have to click a bunch of keyboards, um, you know, to, to change it. If, 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 um, uh, and then I take control of that here. You know, when you see those slides that we're missing this morning on the screen, I'll push a button here, select a slide here, which selects it on the computer, which then, then automatically changes it on the computer that answers to it. That's a slave to it. So he's saying in the same way that you look into the water and the water reflects back your face, your life reality is servant to what's in your heart. Proverbs 23 and 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4 and 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And we could go all kinds of translations on what he's talking about there. Matthew 12 and 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And then James tells us that the words that come out of our mouth chart the course that our life follows. So I'm just I'm trying to show you here that you know when I when I make a statement, your life reality is a reflection of your self-image. You know, it sounds almost like you know some kind of self-help course you know on late-night infomercials here. My friend, this this is not some psychobabble that doesn't interest you. Everything that I'm saying here, and we could spend the next two weeks really reinforcing that this is a statement of truth founded upon, based upon many, many verses of Scripture, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament. So one more time, your life reality is a reflection of your self-image. It answers to it. It's an echo. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's an echo. You, you, I've got a little bit of an echo going in here this morning, right? I'm a little bit jazzed up about it. Praise God. You know, you stand in a canyon and you yodle, you know, and it, yodle, yodle, you hear it just, you know, dun, dun, dun. it's echoes, right? Your life reality is an echo of your self-image. It's a reflection. Now, your self-image resides in your heart and has been formed in you over the course of your life. 
And this is the part of your thinking the devil wants to influence and control more than any other. You hear me, please, you hear me this morning. This is the one part of your thinking that your enemy wants to control and wants to influence more than any other. Obviously, the devil hopes you never know anything about God, you never know anything about his love, that you never hear anything about the plans that he has for your life. But Satan knows that if, even if you learn of God, even if you receive his gift of salvation, even if you become baptized in the Holy Spirit, and even if you speak in unknown tongues, that he can still contain you and he can still manipulate manipulate you as long as he can deceive you into maintaining the wrong image of yourself. Turn with me to Judges now, Old Testament, Judges the 6th chapter. Judges chapter 6 and we'll begin at verse number 6. Judges 6 and 6, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let me, let me show you something right quick, okay? I call, it, I call it battleground truth. The devil never wants you to know any truth. But there are two areas of truth that he fights and resists the most against in your life, in my life. When I say battleground, that comes from the concept of, of, of an election cycle. And, you know, so like, for instance... We know the, the, the states, right? Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania. These are the states, right, that, I mean, it was, thank God, you know, Alabama votes for conservative values, but I don't even know if they ever campaigned in Alabama. You know, I mean, they just know it's going Republican, right? And if that offends you, I just, amen. Praise God. But that's just the way it is. But there are certain states, man, that if we don't win those states, we can't win the White House. It's a battleground state. And so a lot more effort is put towards defending or winning those areas than, um, you know, that's what I'm saying, Calera. You know what I'm saying. Praise God. You still with me this morning? All right. So when it comes to battleground truth, the two that the devil fights the most to keep you from ever understanding is the love that God has for you, the gifts that he's made available to you, the grace that he's bestowed upon you, the life that he created and intended for you to live in, or just what we would simply call the love of God. The other is this concept of who you are in Christ, um, your, your true identity. And, and I know this may sound odd, but I used to say it that number one, the, the most important is the love that God has for you. Number two, is that the devil never wants you to know who you are in Christ. But don't be offended. Just hear me, okay? Just hear me. I don't know if we can put those one and two like that. If anything, it's reversed or it's a tie. Because I know a lot of people who know a whole lot about the love of God, but because of the image that they have of themselves, the love of God makes no difference in their lives. Because they see themselves as unlovable because they see themselves as, as unworthy, because they see themselves as, as, as somebody that, that, that God could never use or do anything with, they can quote all the verses about the love of God, but they just think they apply to somebody else, not to them. So do you see how this is such powerful battleground truth 
that the enemy, I mean, he never wants you to know anything about God whatsoever, but the one thing that he circles the wagons around more than I believe any other thing is to try to to manipulate and control um, what you believe to be true about yourself. Have you not figured out by now the devil doesn't so much care about the face value of a sin that you commit, commit? What he's more interested in is what he can get you to believe about yourself because you committed that sin. And if you don't believe me, think about the times in your life you've been tempted to sin and you didn't. The devil didn't care. He piled on anyway. If you really were saved, you wouldn't even be tempted with that stuff. If you really were saved, you wouldn't even want to do that. If you, see, he don't care. It, it's, I'm not saying he doesn't you know, get some kind of sick, perverted jolly out of enticing us to sin and us caving in and sinning. But hear me, more than anything else, it's the mileage after the sin that he's interested in. It's how he can use the mistakes that we make against us to form within us wrong opinions of ourselves. That's what he's after more than anything else because he cannot contain a child of God who knows who they are. He can't stop you. He can't even touch you if you know who you are. Judges chapter 6, verse 6. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you've not obeyed my voice. Now think for a minute. I'm going to read, keep reading here. But think for a minute what he's saying here. These people are hiding in holes in the ground. These people, God's people. God, they're not just these people. These are God's chosen people. These are God's special treasured people. These are the only group of people on planet earth who have a blood covenant with God Almighty. These are the descendants of the great Abraham. And God, they're crying out to God. The Midianites keep stealing our lunch money. What are you going to do about it, God? And God sends a prophet to him and says, Hey, have you forgotten that I brought you out of Egypt? I brought you out of the house of slavery? I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians? He says, and I, and I told you that no man can stand before you all the days of your life. You haven't believed me. I told you. Now, what we have here, and we're going to see it more, more poignantly in the life of a single Israelite, but what's true of Gideon is true of the whole nation of Israel. God said to them, no man will be able to stand before you. Be strong. Be courageous. Every place you put the foot, your foot is yours. I've given it to you. And, and it, he gave it to them by covenant. And now they're hiding in holes in the ground. They're they're, they're, every time they would grow a crop, not just the Midianites, but other enemies around them would come up into the hills and what they couldn't steal and eat, they would trample and destroy. And so they're crying out to God. Now, thank God God is merciful. Amen. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to, the, to Joash the Abiathar, a Bazarite, 
while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the, in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So you, for the record, you don't thresh wheat in a winepress. You thresh wheat outdoors. This is when you throw it up in, in, the, in the air and the wind separates the wheat from the chaff and the harder kernels of wheat fall back to the ground. This is very difficult to do indoors. But he's doing it in the wine press because he doesn't want the Midianites to find out he's got food because they'll come and take it from him. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his miracles which our fathers told us about saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the nation of Midian as one man. Now clearly what we have here is God's image of Gideon and Gideon's image of Gideon are vastly different. Do you see this? <laughs> I mean, all Gideon can talk about is God's let us down and he's forsaken us. And why is this worse? He had and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just the least in my father's house. My, my, clan's, my clan's a bunch of nobodies and, and, and my dad's uh, family is the least in the clan and I'm the least in my dad's house. What's, what is he saying? He's like, I'm like a nobody from a whole family full of nobodies from a whole clan full of nobodies. I'm, I'm a nobody three times removed. I mean, if, if, if you think my great granddaddy was a loser, you ain't seen me yet. That's, that's what he's, that's, that's his image. That's, that's, that's his understanding of himself. Now, I'm going to push just a few more minutes, okay? Can I push a few more minutes? We got it. Can, you, can we, please? So I'm going to simplify this for you, but I want you to see, I want you to see the flow of this. Gideon had a self-image problem. Okay? He did not see himself the way God saw him. Gideon's self-image problem led to a self-esteem problem. Gideon's self-esteem problem led to a self-worth problem. Gideon's self-worth problem led to a self-confidence problem. And Gideon's self-confidence problem led to a self-imposed limitation problem. Now let's talk about what these mean and then we'll call it a day, okay? 
the way you see yourself, that self-image, determines the level of regard or likability, likability you assign to yourself. In other words, your self-esteem is determined by, it gets its cue from, it's an echo of your self-image. So the way you see yourself determines the level of regard that you have for yourself. It, it determines the level of likability. Come on now, the Holy Spirit gave me that word right there. Likability. In other words, how likable you think you are. To make the point, it is impossible to have a poor self-image and a high self-esteem. Do you see this? You See, I'm trying to show you how it all stems. It's like right down. You can't have a poor self-image and a high self-esteem. Because again, your self-esteem is based in your self-image, how you see yourself. Now, connected to this is because we think other people see us as we see ourselves, right? How can you ever think you're a loser and believe other people think you're a winner? So the image that you have of yourself is the image that you also think other people have of you. You think they see you the same way. So you also think that they share the same regard and likability that you have for yourself. You see how this starts getting, I mean it just starts branching out into every aspect of, of, our, of our lives. Poor self-image, wrong self-image, incorrect self-image is going to lead to the, the wrong estimation of our value, our worth, our, our, our uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, our likability, the regard that we have for ourselves. Okay. Which means we're going to kind of think that people don't really like us because we're not that likable. If you don't see yourself as likable, you won't think other people see you as likable. Now, let's keep going. The level of regard, that's self-esteem, right? Determined by the way you see yourself, that's your self-image. That level of regard determines the value, the worth that you see in yourself. That's self-worth. That's self-worth. And again, this also determines the way you think other people value you as well. It also determines the level of value you think you have to offer to them, what you bring to the table. Am I the only person that's ever sat at some tables that I didn't feel like I belonged at? That I didn't feel like I had? I, I, I dealt with this week before last. I sat at a virtual table. I was the only person out of 25 that didn't have at least a master's degree, most of them PhDs. And they wanted, listen, they asked me in all the paperwork, they wanted all those letters right behind my name so that, you know, because that, that's all up there, you know. <laughs> it's like, 
So, uh, yes, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, uh, Mr. Winslet, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a pastor. <laughs> Amen. I'm a pastor. Amen. I didn't say it weak. I said it bold, right? I th- matter of fact, we'd break out into smaller groups, and, you know, again, we'd go back around here. I'm a pastor. You know, like, uh, you could read on some of, some of them were like genuinely ex- ex- happy about it, right? Um, an, an, an elderly lady called me reverend from that point forward, right? You know, so, amen. But then other people, you could see a look on their face like, what's, what is he doing here, right? What, what is, he can't prescribe medication. What is he doing? You know, those guys, kind of, so anyway, I, you know, I'm sitting there like, you know, I'm, in, I'm fighting this, you know, and they're asking questions and, and, um, I'm just going to sit, I'm just, I'm just going to sit back and, and let the experts talk, right, you know? And so the Lord's like, you got something to offer here, son. You got a perspective on this that, that a lot of these people don't have. You understand some things about recovery and, and all that, that, that these folks, you, you learn from them. But, but, but see, again, you know, how, how we esteem ourselves, right, this is, this is what determines, you know, what we think we have to offer people now your self-worth determines your level of self-confidence now when i say self-confidence i do not mean confidence in self i'm referring to a confidence in who you are in christ and what it means to be a child of god a confidence in the value you bring to the world think the opposite of timid or intimidated Think boldness. Think boldness. It's impossible to have low self-worth and high self-confidence. I mean, stand with me. I'm, I'm, I just saw the time again. Anyway. It's impossible to have low self-worth and high self-confidence. Can I, can I tell you what this world needs more than uh, election recalls and all of this stuff? This world needs somebody in the body of Christ who knows who they are to stand up. I'm not talking about with, with uh, you know, marching with a sign in our hand. I'm talking about, I'm talking about letting the church be the church. I'm talking about standing up, somebody who's, who's confident, somebody who, who understands that, that, that they have something that they've been given, right? We don't have any money, sir, but if you want to walk, I've got something for you. If you, if, 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 you, if you want to, like, walk again and not have to beg for a living anymore, then I can help you today, sir, because I've got something to give you. Because I've been born of above. I've been born of the same seed of the man named Jesus. Maybe you've heard of him. He walked about doing good, destroying the works of the devil, healing all who were sick and oppressed, right? And, and he gave me new birth, and he lives in me. And I have an image of him now in my mind. When I look at myself, I don't just see a, a, a man who denied that I ever knew Jesus. I see a man who's been born again and raised from the dead with Jesus and seated with him in heavenly places. And, and I, I got something for you. You see the difference in that? There's a confidence. There's a boldness there. It's the self-imposed limitations. 
Do you hear that in, in what God said? To, in the, you know, people crying out about the Midianites, punking them. And God's like, have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten who you are to me? Have you forgotten what I've done for you? Have you forgotten what I've said to you? Have you forgotten the covenant that you have with me? It's, it, you're wanting to know why, why I'm not doing anything about this. And, and it's, why aren't you doing anything about it, you mighty men of valor? And they see themselves as mighty men or women of valor. Jesus has made you new. But how big of a difference will it make as long as you cling to the inward image of your former self? Jesus has made you righteous, but what has really changed if you still see yourself as a sinner? Jesus has made you free. But how can you enjoy freedom in your life reality if you still think of yourself as an addict and a slave to sin? Jesus has made you a powerful force for himself and his Father's kingdom. But what impact will that have if you continue to believe you're a weakling and a nobody with nothing to offer? Jesus has given you unimaginable blessings and wealth, but what meaningful difference will you experience if your opinion of yourself is poor, pitiful, and unworthy? Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you, Father, for the new wisdom and revelation that you're bringing before us, Father. And Lord, for the new challenges that these truths are presenting now to our lives. Father, you are stirring us. You are calling us. You are awakening us. Father, to a mystery that has been a mystery for far too long. The power, the power of self-image. Father, I thank you this morning for revealing yourself to every person listening to me right now. Father, that the words that are being spoken would not just be me speaking to other people, but it would be you speaking to the hearts, the very souls and spirits of men and women, Lord. Father, that, that we would begin with the help of your Holy Spirit to closely examine, to closely examine the way that we see ourselves and the way that we think of ourselves and that your Holy Spirit would begin to show us areas in our self-image that are not a reflection of who we became the day we became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you that these things are going to bring tremendous benefit and change to our lives and to our effectiveness, our quality of life, our condition of life, and as well as our conduct and our behavior. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I got some homework for you. Amen. This might be the longest I've ever gone on a Sunday morning. That's okay. Pam and I watched a movie this weekend, two hours. Come on now. You sit in front of a movie for two hours and, you know, sermon's got to be 35 minutes. Come on now. I, I, 
I don't have time now to explain this to you. But 1 John 4 and 17 contains the verse that captures what our self-image should be, I believe, more than any other simple verse in the Bible. You ready? As he is, so are we in this world. That's what I want you to do, okay? Matter of fact, let's just practice right now. Let's just practice right now. Put your hand over your heart. Stand up real straight. Say it after me. As he is, so are we in this world. Now, one more time. I'm going to change it up a little bit. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. Amen. I was standing in my bathroom early this morning, my hand over my heart, looking out. I got those glass blocks, you know, you can't really see through or out. I was standing there facing them glass blocks, man, just confessing it, my hand over my heart, my hand up in the air. As Jesus is. Come on, let's do it one more time. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. Praise God. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Blessings, 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 blessings on you and on yours. Tell somebody good things coming, and we love you. We'll see you Wednesday.